My guest on the show today is Slater Victoroth. Slater is the founder and CTO of Indico, an enterprise AI solution for unstructured content that emphasizes document understanding. And Slater and I don't know each other, and we are starting to get to know each other, and we got a lot more fun things to talk about. We've already, I've always been like, wow, this is going to be a good interview. So Slater, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, Jason. I'm I'm doing great. You know, it's a sunny morning here in Somerville, uh, so I can't really be happy. Somerville is in Massachusetts. Yes, yeah, right outside of Boston. It's the uh, you know the crunchy you know Seattle uh, right <laughs> outside of Boston. That's amazing. The crunchy Seattle version of Boston. That's so good. I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, it's like every every college city needs one. Right? Yeah, so it's like Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, right. I, well, I'm from Brooklyn, so that I I totally get oh, it. Oh, there you go. I totally get my, it. My aunt's in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's awesome. That is very cool. Well, we're going to get right into this because based on our conversation so far that we had off the air, we got a lot to talk about. So Slater, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. So Slater, what's something that you nerd out about? I absolutely love mushrooms. Such uh, a good answer. You know, in, and just kind of like this absolutely unavowed... Uh, sorry, I, I just love them so much. So this is something that I, I didn't really get into for a long time, actually. When I was a kid, all the way through... Actually, I remember the moment I liked a mushroom that I ate for the first time ever. It was the San Francisco airport, and I had an enoki mushroom, right? Those, like, long, spindly yeah. white ones. And I was like, wow, this is great. You know, this is delicious. I guess I do like mushrooms. But even until that point, I was like 17 or whatever, I thought I didn't like mushrooms my whole yeah. life. Um, and then... I was out rock climbing with my buddies up in uh, Rumney, up in New Hampshire, uh -huh. and I knew like a very little bit about mushrooms, but it was just this fantastic rainy July sort of this past winter. So it was, you know, September or something. And these massive, massive mushrooms we saw just growing out of the base of this tree. And, you know, we found 10 pounds, probably, a hen of hen of the woods mushrooms. And mushrooms are um, really light. So that's a lot of mushrooms, isn't it? It's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean... You know, it, it was a whole, it was like this Trader Joe's bag just filled with these, ma I mean, these massive, massive That's mushrooms. Cool. Um, it wasn't even all of them. We couldn't, couldn't even get yeah. them. Um, and, and for comparison for folks that don't know, right? Because I kind of looked up, it's like, okay, like how expensive is this? Like how tasty is it? Like the, the thing you've got to have in your mind, like imagine walking through the forest and you find like a Wagyu steak like a top cut Wagyu steak just sitting on the ground. That's, that's basically what wow. it is in terms of, you know, cost per weight and just like how delicious this yeah. is. I mean, this is stuff that we literally can't grow this stuff, right? Yeah. Like it has to be out in the wild. Like people have to go find it that day. Uh, and, and, you know, from a, from just a biological perspective, everyone should watch the movie fantastic fungi. It's on Netflix. Fantastic uh, fungi. It's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. You do nerd um, out about this stuff. This is perfect. I love it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so they, Fungi are like the first, uh, they're, they're like this weird juncture between single-celled and multi-celled organisms. Yeah. Um, they sort of colonized the land so land plants could take over the land. Mm. So, you know, before there were, before there were trees, there were mushrooms and they grew in this prehistoric, you know, these massive, like two-story tall uh, mushrooms yeah. that sort of churned up the very rocky soil of early right. to make it habitable for life, which is just... Uh, you know, crazy, amazing. Like, I, and I always, and, and the thing that's also really interesting, especially if you live in the U.S., is we're um, terrified of mushrooms because right? they're because you know, like, yeah, because we're taught as kids that like you don't eat them because they could be poisonous. Totally, totally right. And there's actually a term for that, which is mycophobia. And at first, I'm like, oh well, I mean, that's just how mushrooms are, right? They're super dangerous. You can eat a po poisonous mushroom at any moment. It turns out that that's 
basically nonsense. Uh. Um, poisonous mushrooms do exist, yeah. right? Like, I, I want to be clear about that. But they're extremely rare. Um, and the number of mushrooms that are both poisonous and will kill you and are tasty and, like, you wouldn't even just spit them out after mm. having, like, a single taste, um, it's really rare. It's sense. really only a handful in the whole world of mushrooms. Um, and, by the way, if you compare it to berries and leaves, right, just like the stuff that we eat normally, it's actually way less dangerous, like, on, on a percentage <laughs> basis, which is, like, and then when, when that sinks in, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, there's poisonous berries everywhere, but I don't have that same reaction to, like, picking a berry and eating yeah. it. Yeah. Like, picking a mushroom. Yeah, eat. you had me, um, um, I saw, you know how U-Haul, they always have, like, a state fact? Like U-Haul trucks. Oh no! Well, if you look at a U-Haul, like a U-Haul truck, you go and rent at a like a local yeah. U-Haul. They always they always have like state of Massachusetts and like some sort of fact. I saw one. Oh, cool! I saw one, and I believe it was Michigan, and it was something about like the world's largest mushroom, and it like lived and it's underground, and it's like it's massive. It's like acres or something. Uh, you know? uh I I think that's in um uh it's in the Pacific Northwest. Maybe it is Mon- maybe it's Montana it's... or something. But I I've seen this, and I was like, wow, it's that's massive. either. It's either Seattle or or Portland. Got it. Uh, but it's a honey mushroom. It's a honey fungus. And it's three and a half miles. That's what it is. That's insane. It's, it's absolutely... The thing that's even crazier is, like, you have to think, like, mushrooms are basically aliens. That's my current... They're, they're <laughs> aliens. They're just, like, not comparable to anything else. Because when we're talking about it, it's not like... It's not like a tree. It's not like there's a tree right. growing there, right? It's this mycelial network which are these hyphae, which are just like these little threads that grow from spores. And they sort of, in this weird pseudo-democratic, very organic way, they like split and join and grow. And and they almost have this, they, they kind of facilitate this stock market of nutrients. I mean, there's different yeah. things, but many of them will like facilitate this almost stock market of nutrient exchange between the trees and the forest. Like, oh, hey, you know, this aspen is really great at, you know, getting, you know, uh, lithium or whatever I yeah. need. Or, you know, it can make some lipids. I'm going to trade it, you know, this thing, and it'll it'll actually facilitate sort of trading even between trees. Wow. Which, uh... That's mind-blowing. I don't know. It's it's, it's crazy. It's mind-blowing. And and then the way they create mushrooms, I don't know. I, I could go on and on about this. Right? <laughs> people are, like, people uh, are tuning in. They're like, so is this like a cooking show or what are we talking? <laughs> no, it's, it's, so, it's yeah. so fascinating. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll maybe leave one, one just like last fact to highlight just how alien mushrooms yeah. are. So, you know, like oyster mushrooms, yeah. like the things that you find in the grocery yep. stores. Um, so in, in humans, right. And like most mammals, there's two, uh, mating types, I'll say, right. You know, like a rough, like male and female that, you know, make offspring in mushrooms in oyster mushrooms, actually different by species, first of all, but in oyster mushrooms, there are over 20,000 different mating types. what uh just completely not like male female analogous most of them are capable of creating offspring with one another but not so all of them weird it's it's and 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 even the process of sort of you know like mating or whatever and creating a new mushroom is this weird like local voting strategy <laughs> where everyone's like you're like voting for the king you know the stack ranking queen. the stack ranking the mushrooms yeah. yeah yeah they're like these these are the best ones right so these are going to form the blueprint for the mushroom and then almost like like answer something the other nearby hyphae will actually be like like sacrifice themselves to become the pieces of this mushroom for someone else's genetics it's it's, it's i'm gonna tell you I gotta i'm gonna tell, tell you right now slater one of the things I love about hosting this podcast is I literally have no idea what I'm going to learn about it. I've just learned a lot about a topic that before I'm like, 
yeah, mushrooms. I like them. I like them cooked on burgers. I like beef stroganoff and you know, they're good in salad. And now I'm like, wait, I know. I know. I feel like I I got a crash course on mushrooms. So thank you. And I'm sure everybody else listening. Yeah, there you well. go. I'll say, especially up in the Catskills, any, any forest, like go after a rain, just see what you see. Yeah. And like, if you see something big and pretty, just, you know, Google it. Don't, don't go like eating strange <laughs> mushrooms. Definitely don't do that. I'll be like Slater. But, you told you know, me I'm, I'm in the hospital boat, dude. Like, well, uh, you told me to eat these things. Yeah, uh, disclaimer. disclaimer. Like, I am not a medical professional. This is a terrible idea. Ask some mushroom person. But but you'll be surprised. Like if you see something really big and distinctive, yeah. those tend to be pretty easy oh. to identify. Uh, it's, this is. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm tempted to continue this, but I think we need we got some other stuff to talk about. Yeah, let's. Yeah, we got so, for sure. Um, Slater, what's something that is inside of your comfort zone, easy for you, you love doing, that you know is going to be outside of somebody else's? Ooh. Uh, uh, fighting, fighting. I think that's something I, I would definitely pick as one. This is not, so, uh, I had a, a very, very small MMA career, right? Uh, but I did martial arts sort of all from, you know, the young age until, you know, re- I, I kind of stopped, uh, after college, you know, when things got, got kind of really yeah. intense, but, um, it was actually really interesting. Actually me and my, my wife, she's a third degree black belt in Taekwondo. Um, and you know, we've kind of both just been doing martial arts for, you know, over a day, you know, most of our lives. When we yeah. Um, and something that we found was really interesting is that for us, you know, fighting someone, you know, sparring being like, Hey, you know, like let's jump in the ring and like, you know, bat each other around. That's a very friendly kind of get to know you <laughs> sort of thing. Right? For you, yes, I could. Yeah, for you. For ex- exactly, yeah. right? I learned very early on uh, when you make the same suggestion to someone at a tech company, uh, they don't look at you quite the same. Yeah, way. they're they're really afraid of getting hit in the head. Well, not only that, but I'm like I think of UFC. I'm not a like I know it. I'm not a huge fan, but I'm like the story where he's mm. like this dude blew out his knee or he. He's fighting with a broken elbow or his face looks like it went through a masher. I'm like, that does, that is not in my comfort zone. I don't need to subject myself to that. That's, that's, that's super, that's, uh, yeah. And I mean, like the UFC definitely, you know, they, they kind of play up that. Those dude, those people are crazy. Quite a lot. They they are, but, but, you know, let me, let me challenge that a little bit. Right. Because I also think that, you know, when you hear someone blew out a knee, right. Very different from hearing like, oh, someone tore his meniscus, uh, playing golf yeah which also true happens, yeah right and and it's it's not that there's not a potential for um for injury right like there absolutely is and and very very rarely people can get killed but it's not even the most dangerous sport ever. right um and and i think that the other thing that people don't realize is like the kinds of mitts and equipment they're using in that ufc fight like that that's crazy like that's you know when you're when you're sparring with someone like you've got these big heavy mitts like you're not you're not doing anything. Yeah. Right. Like very, very safe if you know it. Yeah. Doing. Yep. This is a good example yeah. of something that is inside your comfort zone that is outside of mine. I would not hop in the ring with you to get to know you any further. I'd rather talk mushroom. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll go foraging. We'll, we'll go foraging together. Um, and I will be yeah. sure not to piss you off either. <laughs> so, Slater, <laughs> take a look at the, um, the, the inverse of that question. So, what's something that, is, that you're mm. uncomfortable with that's outside of your comfort zone that you know is going to be inside of somebody else's? All right, so here's here's a here's maybe a strange fact for me. This will be like a small uh, public health announcement. Um, so I actually have a strain, uh, strange is maybe not the right word, an uncommon neurological condition. Uh, it's called misophonia. Um, and have you ever heard of uh, synesthesia? 
Yeah, it's the ability to hear, um, to see music as colors, right? Similar? Uh, approximately. Yeah. Right. So synesthesia is where you have any sense that sort of crosses yes, over. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. right. So actually, in, in a totally unrelated sense, I do have synesthesia, but for me, um, sense actually mapped to touch for me. Right. So you like smell a lemon to me, right? That feels like, like chrome, like something very smooth wow. and shiny. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just like natural, like I sense it. Now, misophonia, it's a very similar kind of thing, um, but more destructive. And the way it's often described is sort of a, a, like a sound emotion synesthesia. Mm. And so there are basically particular, you know, sort of the sound of smacking lips is like very, very common where for a lot of folks, like, you know, maybe that's annoying uh, for folks with misophonia, it actually will trigger a fight or flight response. I know this. Um, I live with this. Not oh, me. Do you? My wife oh, has this really? for gum chewing. There, that's crazy. There you go. There you go. It, it's, uh, it's absolutely a real thing. Yeah. It, and it sucks. Yeah. It, it honestly you know, and, um, you know, if, if uh, I don't know if she, she knew the term misophonia or not, but it's, you know, I literally thought I was crazy yeah. until I Googled it and found like, no, this is, this is a real, it's just like a miswiring in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, <clears throat> she didn't know about it, but I, I found, i actually, I think the New York times did an article on her or something a few years ago. Oh, and really? so for her, it, there you go. I don't have anything like this, but for her, it's like, um, gum chopping, lip smacking mm -hmm. and, uh, like crunching. Like people that are eating like potato totally. chips with their mouth yes. open, she actually like can't be around it. And I'm and I used to make fun That's, of her. Yeah. And now I was like, as like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and and that is the thing, right? It is it is really hard because it's it's so weird. And and honestly, like being being on either side of it, it's so bizarre. And it's actually it's really tragic because and I don't actually it's what my my wife has as well. I don't have it as severe as some. Yeah. Um. It's actually really tragic, though. You hear some of the case studies because, you know, when, you know, it's a kind of a new and weird thing. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and so there's so the case studies are pretty um, extreme. Um, but the case studies, you know, they're these 16 and 17 year old kids that like punched their brother or punched their mother or something. Right. And they don't understand why they did it. Yeah. Right? It's like, you know, they were forced in that in that situation. They're getting angrier and angrier. They're like, what's happening? Am I going crazy? Right. You know, it's like that chomping, chewing, like right next to them. Parents don't under, understand right. what's happening. They like lash out in some violent way. And they're like, and, and then, you know, the second stuff, they're like, oh, my God, like, what did I just do? That was horrible. Um, and so, you know, thankfully, you know, it's kind of, you know, being being understood better. You're seeing like a, a lot. less. Yeah. Like that. But, you know, thankfully, I don't I don't have it that bad. Do you know the. um? You know the Twinkie defense from the Harvey. Yeah, is it, yeah, 100%. yeah. So for the for everybody listening, Twinkie defense is um, and help me here, Slater. But so uh, mm -hmm. Harvey Milk, who was assassinated in the you know that, and Sean Penn won an Oscar for playing him. He was killed by I forget the person's name, but they actually used the Twinkie defense because he was using too many Twinkies. I'm bringing this up because I'm curious if this has ever been used as any as any sort of like thing at a court of law of, well, I have got this thing and I actually lose because his lawyer, I believe his lawyer's assertion was that he was out of his mind because he had, they call it. Yeah. So I'm curious if, have you ever heard of this yeah. defense? So it, it, it's interesting. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I do know, uh, maybe I'll, I'll give like a hair more Please. color on the Twinkie defense. Cause it's exactly right. It was the, the assassin of, of milk which, and the mayor of you know, San Francisco, of right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Right. And, and there are intricacies to the legal defense, but a big part of it was just he had eaten so many Twinkies. They were so full of processed stuff that he was in an altered mental state. Um, and and a really important part of the defense also was that 
he didn't realize he was in an altered mental state because like, who knows what's in a Twinkie, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, and, and it was, uh, there's nuances that I actually think made that defense weirdly successful yeah. in the way that it was applied. Um, but, but I also think we're probably not quite doing it justice. It's worth like Google. Oh, yeah. folks really want to yeah. get the details. Um, so the only case I know here, one of the things that's uh, interesting and sort of tragic is that as far as I know, no like person who suffers from misophonia has ever like attacked someone and then been like brought to a good or anything like <laughs> good. that. Um, and, and the main reason is that they usually know well enough, you know, they're much more likely to just like walk out of a room instead of hit someone. Right. Yeah. And in those really rare cases where that does happen, like it's a really close family member that can see that something is going yeah. on. So it, it's not the kind of thing that's going to result in charges. I have actually seen the reverse though. Um, this is something I actually didn't really key in on until I started like watching a lot of TV. Um, some people eat as actually a really kind of intentionally aggressive thing. And you see this on TV sometimes, mm. right? Folks will like, you know, kind of take it and like, you know, really start like smacking loudly as sort of a power. Yeah. Thing. And so there was this case where someone was doing that in a movie theater, right? Just like eating popcorn really loudly, super obnoxiously. Someone with misophonia said, hey, could you stop? Like, you know, this is a little excessive. And the guy shot them. Oh, my God. Like, literally, right. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, it's, it's a little dark, but that, that's the only, that's the only yeah, case. But, it had, but there is a, there is a record out there of something happening in this. And that. Yeah. 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 Ready. There is. Man Slater, I'm, I'm getting a, I'm getting a quick education. Uh, you got, a, you got a lot to teach. I'm learning a lot. By Professor Slater. Yeah. Professor Slater. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk mushrooms. We're going to talk uh, lip smacking. All right. So now. Yeah. Uh, kind of as we move into the next question for you here, Slater, mm. is um, if I was to give you five minutes and you were able to give kind of like your five-minute TED Talk and all of us out here get to hear it, so the entire world, what is it that you would speak on and what would be your call to action to us out here in the audience? What would you want us to do with your the information you're sharing with us? Okay. All right. So I'll say with with that, I'll actually probably change my answer. Um and I think that what I want to talk on is education specifically for uh, maybe folks that aren't neurotypical uh, and folks that are maybe non-neurotypical and gifted. Um, and this is this is kind of a, you know, a, a trifecta of things that I personally fit in. Later, could you, um, um, uh, for, yeah. for all of us, could you, for those listening yeah. who maybe don't know exactly what that means, I think I do, but could you just define what those terms yeah. actually mean in a scientific way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so the term sort of neurotypical and neurodivergent, uh, first came around in talking about autism and sort yep. of the autism spectrum where, you know, they started really asking these, these tricky questions about where does the line of autism start, right? Where does the line of just being a quirky person end? And they sort of came across with this answer of, uh, it doesn't really. Yeah, right. right? It's not, it's and not a so, hard line. Yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, that's where the autism spectrum comes from. And it's also where these more flexible notions of neurodivergence, right, and neurotypical, right, just the idea, you know, autism is one, one kind of divergence, but there are other types of divergence yeah. as well. Even, you know, just having misophonia, that's, that's neurodivergence, right, things that are kind of typified by, you know, learning in different ways, requiring different learning environments, right. And, and there are things that likely have, have you know, again, been true for a really long time. You know, a really ba basic example of this would be, you know, someone who's like deaf or has, mm. you know, very bad vision or something. Yeah. Like that, right. Um, and, and, you know, I think that over time, we've gotten better and better at accommodating folks, uh, you know, after, you know, very, very kind of hard fought battles in the ADA and whatnot. Um, but I think that we're now starting, well, let me maybe rephrase this. 
Uh, my uncle says that we're living in the dark ages of education mm. um, because not only do we not understand how to educate well, but we don't even understand how to measure education well. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so we don't even know how to make progress, which I think is really fair. Um, and I think that hopefully that is starting to change. I think with the sort of successes of really diametrically opposed models like Finland and Singapore, we're starting to see, you know, how do we actually make a better education model? And, you know, I'm, I'm highly biased. I went to Olin, uh, which is an undergraduate engineering school, I'm 100% project based. Mm -hmm. I believe really, really strongly in self-directed learning. Mm. Um, I think models like Montessori education and project-based education and experience-based education, and importantly, competency-based education, and, and folks that aren't, aren't aware of exactly what that is, the idea is rather than working on sort of a consistent, like annual, like ABCDEFG, right, uh, for, for kind of one course, it's like, hey, your goal is kind of to get a B in as many things as possible as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, very rough, oh, right? I want to like, share with things. you. Yes, our daughter goes to a Montessori school. Really? Yeah, she does. Oh, no yeah, way. she does. She's in kindergarten and she's killing it, right? She knows she's so good at so many things so go. quickly at this like really ripe age where you get it and she's and she loves it. Because that, that's exactly it. The Montessori yeah. method, like, hey, come on in, you get a half hour, go grab something from the shelf and do what you want to do with it, and then we're gonna yeah. I, I'm we're huge fans. That's, see, and, and I think this is the thing that people really don't realize. And, and who knows? Like, may, maybe it's not a fit for absolutely sure. every kid. Yeah. Maybe there are, you know, several different education methods that make sense. But but Olin, and, and I think because, again, people see it sometimes in, in early childhood education, really rare to see at, at kind of, you know, like the graduate or actually, sorry, it's how all graduate education happens. Right. Right. So it's how the very top level happens. But then you, you don't really see it again in between. No. Those two, yeah. Right. So just, which, is, which is crazy. If you think it's interesting. Uh and actually, the lecture-based method, right, this is something that is literally thousands and thousands of years old, right, um, that, you know, is, like, from from these Roman scholars where you'd, like, come in and, like, give them a coin at the start of class, <laughs> and you're paying them to talk yeah. to them. So it, it, it's weird and, and kind of, I think, outdated in some ways. And I believe that if you give people the ability to direct their own education, give them the tools to do that effectively, um at least for a really significant subset of the population, you're going to be really shocked as to how self-motivated people are to really dig deep in education. Yeah. So awesome. What, um, at the end of that five minutes, what would you want those listening who are interested in this? Like, Hey audience, I want you to go and do X. What's the thing you want us to do? I, I want you to push for project-based education in your schools, even if they're not Montessori. Yeah. I want you to consider alternative education methods, which might be Montessori schools, which might be uh, homeschooling cooperatives, right? Um, I want you to really think critically about what's out there, because I think if we've learned anything in the past, you know, 20 years as this job market has kind of changed in a peak, it's that the traditional education model is, is broken in maybe more ways than one. Uh, and there are other options out there yeah. today. That's awesome, Slater. Thank you. This is, I, like, I, like I was saying, one of the one of the beautiful. There's so many great parts about doing this podcast. One of them is I learn a lot from my guests. I'm like, <laughs> I feel really educated. So thank you. And I'm happy to yeah, we're gonna take a very brief commercial break. We'll be right back after this. The Talking to Cool People podcast is brought to you by Jason Frizzell Coaching. Jason works with amazing people who are looking to find and develop their passion and purpose and create their journey to wherever it is they want to go. Check us out at jasonfrizzell.com, Facebook, or on Instagram. Jason loves hearing from anyone who thinks it would be cool to connect, to be coached, 
or to be a guest on our show. Email him at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com or DM him on Facebook and Instagram. And now, back to some more amazing conversation on talking to cool people. All right, Slater, we're back. I'm ready for some more education. And awesome. maybe maybe Great. it's uh, I'm I'm feeling a little, little inferior over here. I feel like at some point I need to teach you something. No. Yes. All right, let's, let's, do, let's it. do it. Well, but no, not quite yet because okay, okay. I've got oh, another question oh, oh, that I'm sure you're going to you got some more stuff for us. So, um as we're kind of moving into the second half of the show here, like what is it that what else is it that you want us to know about you? So, I really care about making Indico, you know, my company an incredible place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the older I get, the more that I really start to realize that building, you know, great things uh, requires time and energy. And, 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 I'm, and I'm not, you know, this is not a, a commercial kind of thing at all. Just to maybe be clear, you know, I'm I'm a weird guy. Uh, you know, I think people now mostly believe that I'm a smart, weird guy. Right. But people didn't always believe that. Uh, and so, you know, I had this kind of very, very deep need, I think, to create a, a place to work and a way of working that that fit yeah and and fit people that wanted to really care about one another and push each other to be better than they could yeah right you know something that i really love about indicode that i think sort of typifies how how we think about ourselves and think about work is that i say i always want any member of the team right i don't care if you are an intern that joined last week i don't care if you're our cro if i'm in a meeting you know say in front of the whole company and i say something that's wrong I want you to feel like you can raise your hand and say, no, Slater, you're full of shit. That was incorrect. And here's why. And really importantly, and this is where I think a lot of people get wrong, because everyone says like, oh, yeah, you know, I want people to be uh, honest. I want people to challenge us and whatnot. Yeah. But, but it's not enough to say that is that I think we and, and, you know, thankfully, the folks that, you know, I've managed to, you know, got around kind of convinced to join me on this crazy ride um, buy into the notion that really it's leadership's job to create an environment where people feel like they can do. Better. Yeah. Uh, I, and you know, I, I think that I'm, I'm so happy to have been able to create something like that. And I think that people too often, you know, maybe get caught into this notion that, you know, companies, you know, have to be these absolutely amoral kind of machines. I think, I think people are realizing that there's a different way for companies to be, and there's good arguments for them to be like that. Yeah, no, there is right. a, like, you know, this is, now we're getting into my sweet spot. This is the stuff that mm -hmm. I coach on and talk about myself. I'm, Really curious, um, what have the positive? What are the positive results that you've seen from having that? And and I'm I'm with you, Slater. Like a lot of like, we have an open door policy, and I'm like, do you really though? Like you have an open door policy as long as you walk in and tell me what I want to hear, and as long as you don't question my authority. So what what are you know for you as one of the leaders at the company? And my assertion would be, you tell me if I'm wrong about this. I guess it's more of an assumption is that this is the culture that you maintain across the organization. So what, what are some of the, like, you know, if, like if I was a CEO of a company, I'm like, Hey, I'm creating this new thing and I want to create a culture. And I just hired my chief people officer. What is it about this model that makes, that makes an impact on um, not just the employees, but on, you know, I know you're venture backed. So you got some people that are like, Hey, we want to get our 10 X return. You've got clients, enterprise software clients. I know what those people are like, very demanding. How does it influence mm -hmm. all the stakeholders, not just the employees? Because I think we all, I think most of us understand, hey, that's really cool for the people on the inside the company. But I think it has a really positive effect on customers, um, you know, 
financial investors, and also the families of the employees. Absolutely. So, gosh, there's there's so much good stuff in there. So let me let me maybe talk. I'll talk on the investors. Yeah, first, yeah, please. Because right? you know cool. we'll say that that's maybe the most. Uh, and, and you know, I, I spend some time on on the VC side, you know, with with our partners, and I'm in EIR for a six venture, so I've got some insight. Sure. And what I will say is, I'm actually extremely heartened with sort of uh, how how venture capital looks at the world. I think there's been this dawning realization. Um, I mean, you can kind of just look at software engineer salaries over time and, and see this in a very obvious yeah. way. Yeah. People are everything. Um, and the ability and, and, and not even just in a static way, right? right. Because there, there's the one piece of just, you know, you need a company that can attract and retain the best people in the world. And we've gotten to the point where there's, I don't want to say there's no salary that you can pay that will win someone over, but, but it's sort of getting to that point, right? Yeah. I mean, I see pretty, especially in, in the field of AI, right? I see ridiculous salaries and I people, I see people walking away from ridiculous salaries, um, because you know, at a certain point, that's just not really going to be what motivates. Right. So I think what, what investors really care about is retain people, right? You know, make this a good place to work. You want this to be a destination workplace. You want the absolute best people in the world joining your company, not because you're going to pay them the most money. And maybe you will anyway. Sure. Right? Maybe you yeah. won't. But even that alone is not going to do it, right? But because you are a place where they can work with great people, where they feel confident that they can do good work, be recognized for that good work. Right. You know, and, and yeah. it's very it's a very simple list of things, really, that they. Want. Yeah. But it's actually difficult to offer. Right. And, and I think investors are, again, just increasingly uh, we, we actually have in our is one of our most important company stats. We just take our Glassdoor reviews. We're just like, look, people fucking love working. Here. That's awesome. Look, that's why you should invest in us. Uh, and, that's and, huge. And it really resonates. That's huge. Yeah. I, no, I love that. Um I, like the, we're talking about my sweet spot in terms of my types of clients I work with too. I work with a lot of clients who work in yeah. big tech, startup founders and and such, and people work in startups. And it's well known that the salaries are pretty darn good, right? You work at Meta, yeah. you work yep. at Amazon, you work at Google, you work at Bitcoin, you work at Indico, you got to pay for top talent. And those salaries will give you a good lifestyle anywhere in the country, including San Francisco, totally. including Boston, including New York. So yeah, I think most people are, most of us were motivated by money, but at some point you're like, okay, I have an extra 4K a month and I'm investing and I'm set for, I'm set for retirement. At some point you right. need something else, right? And you're, to your point, the, if you're a good software engineer focused specifically on something like data science or AI, you've got 30 jobs that you could probably go get in a month, right? If you know how to do it. Totally. So. Totally. All you really have left as a founder of a company or the boss is like, hey, this is a really fucking great place to work, like you said. And that's all you got that's left because, you know, like a $10,000 raise isn't going to move the needle on somebody who's already making 250 to 300. Right. That's absolutely it. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I think that, you know, and, and we see so many people out there and, and, you know, maybe we can kind of then dovetail around to the families. Right. Yeah. And I think that's that's what matters most at the end of the day. Right. So many people, though. um, Maybe not to like any like particular industries, but, you know, particular industries, let's say, that are very highly paid where folks in IT are treated very well. Right. They're, <laughs> you know, they, they might make a lot of money. Yeah. They're really forced to do these crazy long hours yep. and importantly, not respected. And and even more importantly than that, not allowed to do really cutting edge work. Right. I know those you people. Know, they, I used to sell to those people. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there you go. Right. Exactly. I think everyone knows who I'm talking yes. about and I don't have to say exactly. Who yes. Is, right. And, and those people will go and take 
you know, 50% pay cuts to go work at a place that they actually love. But that's the key, love, right? Right. Because when you look at that person and they're out in the market, right, they're going to see whatever, 50 companies. And like, yeah, you know, you've got to pay them enough, you know, to, to be in the running, right? But then when they've got 10 offers on the on the table, it's going to be, it's going to be the people they want to work with. Yeah. It's going to be the company that they feel like is going to respect them and let them run. And, you know, I think the very best way to enforce that maybe to, to come back around to some of the other pieces and how this affects the the leaders is is this notion of servant leadership yep. right um you know i think if it really is look um you're joining our company i'm making a pitch to you what are you going to get what am i going to do for you because at the end of the day right it is my job to make sure that you can work as effectively as possible mm-hmm. you know and, and so on down the line through the organization yeah. right that's awesome slater um all right I'm going to see if I can educate you in the audience a little bit. We'll see. I don't know. I feel like I, I have a, I have some real, I'm going to own, I've got some imposter syndrome over here. Well, I, I, we, we all do. Well, right? we all do. Yeah. But um, we'll see. So now we're going to, you're going to play podcast host for a minute here, Slater. Okay. And I'm going to answer something that you want to ask me. So, so here's a question. Up. Yeah. Um, how do you, maybe, maybe a little meta. Uh, how do you make a compelling podcast? Whew. Well, so the context of your question implies that I know how to make a compelling podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know like I'll, I'll jump to that assertion. At least the people listening, the people listening, also, yeah, you, I mean, know, you know, thousands of downloads. But for, for our audience, I think that's, that's yeah, uh, you know, or, or you know, tell me how you think about that question. Yeah, no, totally. Well, I, I'm just, I'm, I was laughing because I'm like, oh, the context implies that I know how to make a compelling podcast, so which by implies, yes. Um, I can tell you. What I can answer is how I believe you can create a compelling long, long form or short form interview podcast, because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And let's assume that for those who are here with us, that, that this is a place that they believe this is happening. I don't think they'd be here if they weren't. But if you if you are here and you don't like this, then I would question what you else you do with your time. So Yeah, you know, stop stop listening. You know, yeah, we're 30 yeah, minutes in at this yeah. point. Um, <laughs> they're waiting for some more food stuff from you Slater. Like what else? Oh, yeah, like yeah. what other things can I learn? So for me, the um, the thing, and this kind of relates back to like coaching and um, servant leadership again. You know, like a lot of co- coaches as leaders, leaders as coaches, is the and what I try to do here is I try to ask the questions that I literally don't know the answer to. So then that just keeps the conversation flowing in a very natural way. And some so. <clears throat> It's interesting, and you know this. You do po- you do podcasts. Some podcasts are like, well, what questions can I ask you? And so, in my mind, as a podcast host, like, I know what I'm going to ask you, but I have no idea what the answers are. Versus, like, let me ask you a question that's a canned answer, which for certain styles is really good. I think for this style, um, it's like being open to the conversation going in any various direction, and also. What makes for a compelling podcast, in my opinion, for this style is all sorts of amazing types of guests. So to give you an example, I've got you on, you know, you're a, you're a um, technology guy, engineer, you know, a lot of stuff. My podcast that comes out, uh, came out last week and we're in, we're, I'm interviewing you here early January. This will come out here in the next month or so, or late January, early February. My first guest was my wife. So that's a hundred first episode. I interviewed my wife. My second episode of this new season, season three, is a male stripper, former male stripper. Very cool. So it's like for me, what what's compelling to me is the wide 
range of people you get. So I've shared this on the podcast a few times, but really my podcasting hero is armchair expert, Doc Shepard, because for two reasons. One, he interviews all sorts of fascinating people, right? He'll have Adam Grant on and Barack Obama. And I just saw this week he had Jeremy Renner on and he had Eric Schmidt from founder of Google on last week. So it's like, hey, everybody's interesting. And the other thing that I love about that style, and you are a perfect example of this, Dax, is, Dax believes that arguably the least important, interesting thing about somebody is what they do for a living. And I actually believe that too. Mm. I mean, you know, I could have been like, so tell me what it's like to be a CTO and found a company. That's a great conversation. But man, like mushrooms, rock climbing, um, MMA, like I find all that other stuff interesting. So for me, what's compelling is getting to know people on a real personal basis for my style. Mm. But that's what I'm curious about. And I have enough listeners that I know there's other people who like that style. Some people are like, I only want podcasts that I'm going to learn something. I can take it into my job. Great. This probably isn't the podcast for you. But if you're curious about humanity, this is kind of the perfect thing. So for me, that's what I believe makes a compelling podcast. The second mm, thing I'll offer is um, interviewers that show up with curiosity and also like it's all about the guest at the end of the day. Which I'm not perfect at. This is a good example. It's this is kind of like my little part of the show, but um, when they get it's like all about Slater. It's all about my wife. It's all about Corey, who's the episode tomorrow. That just makes for a fun mm-hmm. conversation because like they know they know that I'm going to be the anchor of the show and that I'm going to bring what I do to these people and have a conversation. But it's really going to be about the new information and sharing and relationship building and all those things. So that's that's for me what makes what for me personally what makes for a compelling podcast. Yeah. Cool super question. Interesting. Oh, that's that's super cool. Thanks, man. No, thanks. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's really cool. You know, I um, I, I've been in a few of them at this point. Yeah. I find them to be like a lot of fun. But I also, uh, you know, I've been writing. You know, I think that question of you know, like what makes content engaging? I think it's just it's an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, that's a cool. Yeah, and and <clears throat> I'm sure you're going to go on podcasts that you're talking about data science and artificial intelligence. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, I do. That and all that's the time. and actually, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, there's there's if those are things you're passionate about. You want to hear Slater talking about those. Those are not things that I'm, I like them, but for me, it's like, I'm more interested in Slater as a human, right? Like that, but that's just the way I, it's, it's very interesting. No, it's super interesting because I think the way that I think about it, right. Is I don't think I could be a CTO, right. I don't think I could have the thoughts and like make the connections that are required of me as, as you know, this founder and entrepreneur in CTO, right. If I didn't do the rest of this, yeah, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't know how to like grid it out, you know, in the third inning when, you know, like I've got a swollen eye, right? Yeah. Like, you know, then, you know, this, this kind of like seems, uh, I don't want to say easy because it's very, very hard, but you know, it, it gives me some context. It gives me some skills. Yeah. Really awesome. Something awesome. that I actually often say is I think the most useful skill for being an entrepreneur is uh theater. So, you know, I did a lot of plays. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, we could talk, we could spend an hour on this. I, um, Oh yeah. Oh man. I, I would, this is a high recommendation. I think you'll agree for anybody who's in leadership, who's like a people leader and anybody who does like coaching work, consulting work, go take an improv class. It's a game changer. Cause one, you realize totally, that none of this stuff totally. is really that important Two, you're going to make an ass of yourself, but you're not actually making an ass of yourself because it's real and the ability to flex in the moment. And I don't know if you've ever taken any improv class. I've done some acting, done some improv. Uh, yes. yes, you know, like in fact, how do we raise how do we raise the stakes? What how do I partner with Slater in this? That's the other thing too. What makes a mm-hmm, great podcast mm-hmm. is nobody wants to hear you and I arguing about anything on a podcast. Like nobody, it's like an improv. One of the ah, 
Well, maybe. Well, well, no's, right? They, I think there can be interesting arguments. I think... But they're yeah. yes arguments, We're, right? right but they're, they're yes and arguments. Yeah, but like, you know, one of the basic... Uh, tenets of improv is you don't fight on stage nobody really wants to it's boring you're like so you're like hey we're standing on the moon right now and we're drinking beers i'm like actually you're not you're uh, we're standing on mars and you're drinking wine like that's not interesting that's boring um yeah you want to know the most interesting thing i i ever heard please uh, or sorry not the most interesting thing i ever heard uh but but something interesting about public speaking um what profession uh do you have to be a good public speaker for like, what, what's the one profession across all professions where every person who does that is a good public speaker? Yeah. Oh, man. I can think of so many places that you should be, but you, they're not. Right. That's the thing. Mm. Right. There's so many like that. I would say, like, some sort of media, te- television anchor, radio announcer. Real, I think really, really close. Um, you've got very much the right idea, but you know, there's, there's, I think, uh, more and less charismatic, you know, anchors. Sure. I think there's, for, Man. right. You know, and I think that's, you know, what should, and, and probably quite a high rate. Yeah. Uh, the answer is stand-up comedian. Yeah, for sure. You have to be. You cannot, right. You cannot tell a joke without perfect timing and stage presence. It just doesn't matter. You just oh, can't do it. So good. Man, that's so that's so true. And you have to be able to do it really in the moment, think, right? right? Because I was thinking like exactly. an actor and actress, but you can do a hundred takes and be like, Oh, that's the one, a stand up comedian. Right. This, yeah, th- this is another thing we haven't, I love comedy. Like you watch, I watch Dave Chappelle and I'm just like, that dude's timing is just could, it, it's just perfect. Yeah. So I actually did a stand up comedy class when I was, I don't know, like 14 or something. I went up at a, at the comedy shop. Um, and I mean, it, it was amazing. Like, I mean, I think that, Almost like all entrepreneurs should like go, and that's why I love the the improv example. I think improv is perfect. I think look, take it a step further. Take a stand up comedy class. You will be shocked by how much better you present that. Amazing, yeah. And you also know that yeah. not everybody's going to like all your stuff, and that's actually okay, right? And it's actually sort of this whole ability to kind of read an audience and feel the energy and feed off it. And you know, like while no matter how tightly you script your jokes, right? Something also always is different the night. Of, yeah. Right? That's so good. I'm a, I'm a huge stand up comedy person. I pre COVID used to go to like the comedy cellar in the city. I don't know if you've ever been to the comedy cellar in the village. I know um, it's one of the best comedy clubs in New York city. I'm a, I love stand up oh, comedy. Very cool. So good. I, have you ever seen a, this is like a little rain, but have you ever seen taskmaster? No. What's that? It's a British show, uh, but basically it's a host of, sorry, it's a group of comedians. It's a game show where they have a group of comedians come on every season and then they do these just ridiculous uh, tasks against each other. So That's it's just amazing. Like, then it's so good. It's like, and, and the stuff is like, um, here is a pineapple. Hide this pineapple on your body. You have 30 minutes go. That sounds uh, so and then fun. It's like, yeah. And, and it's like all these uh, comedians who are doing it. Um, but check it and, out. I don't know. It's it's so good. It's all on this is. Too. I'm gonna say it right here, live on the show, live for you and I at least. This is going in the show notes. A link to Taskmaster. <laughs> yes, Taskmaster. <laughs> Thanks, later. Thank yeah. you for the really awesome like, question. Uh, do you like? Do you know Noel from uh, Great British Bake Off? No, my wife Noel. would though, because I know she watches. That okay, show. all right. He's also from the Grand Bouche, but he's he's on the season. I'd see again. I, I, I feel like I'm overwhelmed with the new things I need to look into now because of you. Oh, great. You know, hopefully you'll, you'll digest this in time for the next time. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for the question. That was a really good one. Nobody's ever asked me that before. People have asked me why did you start the podcast? What do you like about it? But nobody's ever asked me that. And again, 
full disclosure, it's just my opinion. There's a lot of amazing podcasts with a lot of different formats. This is not the only way to do it. Just the way I choose to do it. Oh, that's 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 why I asked. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, uh, Slater, (laughs) you've answered this about ten times. When I ask you again, because I know we're going to get a different answer, what are you passionate about? Oh gosh, there's. There, there is a lot there, but I think I think that the one that I'm going to have to jump to here, the one that I like held my back from the last time, right? Because this isn't something that I think people can necessarily take action on right now, but I think it's something that's really important to people. Um, and, and this is machine learning and AI, obviously, you know, like mm-hmm. there, there's, there's a reason that I, I've committed my life to that because I, I think there's some important things there. Um, I am really passionate about people thinking of AI uh, with the right analogy. Um, I think that one of the biggest problems that we have today, and it is a somewhat specific uh, gripe I have with terms unsupervised and self-supervised learning. Um, But it's this idea that an AI is sort of this objective, uh, autonomous thing that you like teach something and then it it does its own thing, right? And it has kind of independent ideas and thoughts and conceptions. Like Skynet, for example, Uh, probably the worst example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's what people have in their head, right? It's Skynet. It's, uh, you know, it's AI, it's Blade Runner. It's, it's that kind of a thing. And, and it's reasonable, right? Uh, but, and I wrote, I wrote a blog post is remember that in each one of every single one of those AI movies, the point is that the AI is actually human. It's funny. Yeah. Every single movie has the same moral, right? Yeah. The AI is human, right? Yeah. So that that AI is actually not AI. It's just like a cool way of exploring humanity. Yeah. Um, AI, at least the AI of today, right? You know, maybe this will be different in twenty years, right? Um, but it's much better to think of it as you know a mirror or a parrot uh, and a bionic arm, right? And these are the analogies that I really really like. So think of it like these things are being programmed with data. There are many different ways of doing that. That's the different ways of supervising. But no matter no matter whether you're labeling it or not, right? You're programming these algorithms with data, right? Yeah. Like a human did this, and they are then reflecting that back at you. Um, but you know, it's a mirror, but it's not a perfect mirror. And just like a parrot, you know, isn't going to perfectly reflect everything back. It's you know, this mirror has a bunch of like divots and like holes, and it's going to ignore some stuff and it's going to focus some other stuff, right? And and you can control for all of that. You know, if you know where to look and you're like, oh, well, I really want to make sure this gets across. But most parts of the image, not really going to pay too much attention to you. Right. Yeah, it's close enough. Right. So it's actually a very good analogy for how AI works. And then the second piece in terms of how we should be adopting it, how we should be thinking about it. I think that, again, the common analogy of like there's this Android going to come in, sit next to me, I think is not very helpful. Um, I think that the much better notion is a bionic arm. Uh, mm. Even though that's like a little bit more sci-fi than I often like to get with my AI, um, you know, back when chess was still a hard problem for computers, there was this notion of a, a centaur as well, right? But it's that idea of human-computer partnership, right, yeah. as the primary goal. Um, the reason I think that is really key, and why, in fact, I think that is the direction everyone should be pursuing, instead of now where it's sort of like a fringe kind of area of the space. Yeah. Um, we have billions of humans. Um, my personal belief is while human intelligence is amazing, um, it's not our limiting factor right now. Mm. And I think it's much more interesting instead of thinking, you know, how can I spend a billion dollars to replicate a single human in silicon, right? How can I make an actual practical system that helps a human do the thing they were doing anyway, a hundred times better, a hundred times faster? Yeah. 
And that's where the notion of the bionic arm comes in. Yeah. So I, I just think it's, I think it's really, really <clears throat> important, especially as AI starts to kind of sink into your lives, right? You know, if someone's like, oh, that's like uncontrollable. It's the algorithm's like, no, that's, that's like bullshit. Like, don't accept that. It's not health 3000 or where it from, uh, um, from, no. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's code and they can fix right. it. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome, Slater. Um, what's the thing that you're most proud of? Uh, this is going to be like an extremely um, cheesy answer, but it's the thing that came to mind. Uh, and that's, that's my marriage. Um, you know, so cheesy. Uh, I can't believe you'd say something like that, that you're, <laughs> that the love of your life is the most important, is the thing you're most proud of. Wow. Cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I don't know. It, um, I, I mean, like Indico is awesome. Don't get sure. me wrong. Um, but I'm going to be with her longer than I'm with Indico. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, uh, f- this question is, is interesting because for people that are married, for people that are married with no kids, it's my spouse. If they're happily married, which we don't get into on the show, this is not what this is for. We could, mm-hmm. although we could have some fighting couples back on here. That could be interesting. Maybe but that could be fun that could be watch. fun. Yeah. Um, if people have children, it's always children. If people don't have either mm-hmm. of those two things, then it's like something they did for work. Like it's it's like ninety nine point nine percent probability. So <laughs> okay, well, all right then. Then I'm then normalizing this answer for you. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, then I feel very confident in that answer. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think we've done a good job, and yeah, you know, it's it's not easy to do a good job. At. No, no. Um, how long you two been married for? Uh, we've only been married for uh, maybe like a year and a half. Okay, but we've been together for for ten years. Oh, uh, you've been married a lot longer. You've been officially married for a year and a half. Unofficially yeah, married. Yes. Uh, very yeah, cool. Exactly. And the 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 you know the pandemic obviously complicated everything as well. Yeah, I can I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we still so we still haven't had like an, an actual wedding, if you will. Yeah. We had, you know, but you know, we ha- we've got something on YouTube, and that's you're like something on YouTube, and also we're gonna have the AI create something for us at some point. They're gonna it's an AI. Yeah, it'll wedding. make something beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. What um uh, I call this my little therapy question. People that listen to the show know what's coming next. You don't. It's perfect. No. So Slater, what's something that you're afraid that might actually be true about you? Oh, about me. Yeah, about you specifically. So, and it's something that I'm afraid, not something that I kind of recognize as true, but unfortunate. Whatever you'd, however you'd like to answer, my friend. All right. No, that's, that, that's fair. Um, so I think something that I'm realizing increasingly about myself, right? And I think that maybe at a, at a time this would have scared me, but I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm scared of it anymore. Uh, I think that I'm maybe about at the point in my life where I'm, I'm not going to fight it anymore Mm. and I'm instead going to start working around it. And that's like, I'm an inherently uh, kind of disorganized, very like feast and famine kind of worker, Mm. Right. Um, You know, like I think there's other folks that, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, like uh, middle school and high school, like it gets harder and harder. And like at some point, you know, and then, you know, college gets harder still at some point, you're not going to be able to do it the night before. Um, and for me, you know, that whole experience went very different, right? Like I never had to like do time management. I just got good at doing a lot of work the night before. You're a deep worker. Um, You're like a deep work kind of guy. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I remember I had this summer school, uh, where we had to like go through a whole book and like write these things or whatever. I basically did nothing the whole, the whole year. And I like did all the math out. I'm like, all right, if I work nonstop for like the 18 hours before class, I will get everything done. Yeah. Um, and then that's exactly what I did. Uh, and you know, like, I, I think that there's times when that can 
go too far and become destructive. Sure. Um, there was a, a period of two weeks once where I worked 120 hours a week for each week. Mm. And that was really bad. Yeah, that, that, does, um, that doesn't sound ideal. Yeah, you're not sleeping eight hours a night. You know, you no. don't have time. No. Um, you know, I was sleeping in sort of two-hour chunks with like a around-the-world kind of, you know, 24-7 clock cycle. It was terrible. Um, I burnt out really, really hard. Can imagine. Um, yeah. So I think that, I think that you know, getting over the fear of like, how can I work better? How can I be more dedicated? How can I only do like, you know, just work hours every day? Yeah. I'm like, no, like, I'm not going to do that. Some days I'm just going to have to work for 20 hours straight because I get hit. And I'm leaning into that. Man, um, can I um, can I offer you an opinion on this around this yeah. topic? I, I I'm fascinated by this topic. So the whole idea that like you can't procrastinate, it's bad. That if you are somebody who works in this way, that there's something inherently, well, I'd be like, oh, it's wrong. I mean, you can go to the store right and buy a hundred books on procrastination or how to avoid it, how to do time management. And this is something mm -hmm. that's interesting because I work with really. <clears throat> I would say like high functioning, high executive functioning type people who generally have a pretty good idea of themselves. And they're always looking for like the next thing. Um, and I'm going to relate this to another, I'm going to relate this to another topic and I'll bring it back to procrastination. It's kind of like the idea of like the 5am club. Like this is the way you're going to get ahead is the 5am club. And I'm like, not everybody's biological cycle works that way. And so like this whole, like hus the hustle, I get up at 4.30 and do this. Like, that's perfect for some people, right? Other people, that is the ter worst idea because their brain isn't ready, their body isn't ready. So, so actually, I got, I got to share just a quick please. thing on that. Yeah. So for high school, because I had to go to a very special school and it is very difficult to get around LA, I had to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. Every day. <clears throat> four years. And I am a night owl. Yeah. Um, it was absolutely terrible oh. for my body in every single right. day. Right. Um, and, and the second I did it, right. As soon as I, I stopped, uh, you know, like going to high school and realizing, you know, I was getting through on one leg and crutches basically, you know, mentally, yeah. um, I was like, I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. Um, and, and thankfully you're never forced to do that any other time nope. than, you know, like K through 12 education. Right. Cause then when you're in college, you're like, I'm not taking that 8 a.m. class. I'm taking the right. noon class or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually, I feel bad. They, they forced us to have a 9 a.m. lecture for one of the core classes. Not only did I ditch every single class, I convinced the whole class to ditch every single class. Oh, you were that guy. To the point where <laughs> I, I, it was completely unintentional. I, I felt like so bad. I just heard it's like only five people showed up to class and the whole class is supposed to be here. Yeah. Right? There's like a whole lecture hall with five kids. Your professor's like, Mr. Victorov, uh, please come to my office. <sighs> he did. He, he was, he was relatively good natured about yeah. it. Uh, he wouldn't, but you know, like at that point, he's like, guys, like what the fuck? Yeah. So he just gave them all extra credit. Yeah. So back to the, um, <clears throat> yeah, kind right. of the deep work, how you know to yeah. work thing. There's a, one of the things that I'll take a look at when people is like, call it the overwhelm cycle. And we look mm. at like, what's the thing that moves you into overwhelm? And then what do you do? And I really think that some people need to be overwhelmed before they do their best work. Like their brain just, it just, I think, and you probably know more about That's this than me. I do. I'm not much of a scientist, but I think there's like some dopamine stuff going on. They're like, oh my gosh, I got a deadline. I got 18 hours. I got to get it done. And it's like a rush. And I, um, some people, they just don't work well until they have that hard done. They actually have the pressure when they do their best work. Yeah. It's, and, and, and while that describes me absolutely perfectly, you know, I think explaining it is pretty difficult. It can you know? be. I yeah. think, I think, I think a big part of it 
So, uh, sorry, there's two big pieces. I think one I've realized rest is a part of the process. I think a second big piece is that I've realized that the time leading up to whatever that 18 hour sprint, it's not passive time. It's very much not mm. passive time. What I'm doing is I'm constantly, I'm thinking about it and then I'm putting it down. I'm thinking about it and then I'm putting it down. And what I'm really doing is kind of unconsciously coming up with this plan of attack so that when the 11th hour strikes, I know exactly what I'm going to do for every minute of that 11th hour. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really what, what's happening. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a rush for sure. Right. Like I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. Right. But it's, it's, it's sort of like a fight in that everything slows down. Right. It's sort of like that fight or flight, almost like really deep intensity. I actually trained myself to work really productively with a particular song. Um, and I literally, I can't listen to that song anymore because it, it almost sends me into a panic. I need to like mm. just start coding impulsively. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it's some maybe, maybe connection of like that fight or flight response and that surge of adrenaline and, and just like satisfying it through this, through this work. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I don't know. It, it's immensely satisfying to me. Yeah. Right? Well, I think, I think I love this answer because it's like the thing that you're afraid and it sounds like it's something about you that you're just owning as your process instead of making it wrong, which it sounds, which I think the world, the world and going back to the education system makes us wrong about a lot of the ways that we naturally, that a lot of us naturally are. Um, yeah. It makes you absolutely. wrong. Oh, you, you should do your homework. On, you should do it early and you should do it this way. And, and that's just like, it's, it's just like all animals. It's like, if you have a dog, like not all dogs are the same. Some dogs like stay up late. Some dogs pass out early. Like we're mammals. Like we have different cycles. <laughs> I uh, just like one, one anecdote. Yeah. I had a math class and this teacher who, cause you know, I think there's two ways of teaching math. One cares about math and one cares about process. I remember I had these folks that, that would tell me, you know, you know, Slater's very smart, but if he doesn't learn how to show his work, he's never going to advance beyond third grade math. Uh, I definitely know more math than they do at this point. Yes. Um, uh, yes. I yeah. You're like, hi, I'm the CTO um, of a um, venture-backed company. So yeah, I know, I know Yay. maybe a thing, thing or two. Computer science. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. But the thing that really drove me crazy in this math class, she was very much a process oriented person. And so there was an extra credit uh, question that was, you know, very, you know, challenging. Um, that was, you know, find the volume of a Taurus, you know, in, in this particular like coordinate system. It was like high school. Um, and I, I found an extremely simple, elegant proof um, that was like two lines and, and I wrote it down and, and I got the right answer. Not a single other person in any of the classes got the question right. So I'm feeling pretty good. She looks at it and she says, no, no, no. The way that I wanted you to do it required like 18 lines of complicated algebra. So this doesn't count. So I'm not giving you the credit. Just like, that's the worst. I, I, no, that's the worst. Also, I'm, <laughs> yeah, like, and, just, and as a computer science guy, that's so perfect. So you're like, we want as little code as possible to do this thing. We don't want 18 lines because at some point as we refine our process, we're going back and stripping out some of those lines of code or rewriting them. That's so good. Yeah. That's such a great analogy. Yeah. You know, and like I, I had problem with the math competitions back in the day because it's like, you know, you get six problems and they're like, all right, we want six proofs. And and what I would always do is I would spend all of my time coming up with beautiful, simple proofs for two of the problems. Right. And they're gorgeous, gorgeous proofs, but for two of the problems. For two of the problems, yeah. Yeah, exactly. A math you're a math you are a math rebel. I'll call you a math rebel. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I I love that. Yeah, I will take you're a math it 100%. rebel. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Slater, we're going to um we're going to wrap it up for today. Yeah. Uh, I do have a couple more questions for you if you got a few more minutes for us. I do have a few more. How do you see the world? 
<laughs> uh, spaceship Earth. Uh, that's the most accurate, uh, just because the way you asked the question, you know, Spaceship Earth. Um, we've got a lot of problems, um, and we've got a lot of shit to get done, and quite frankly, you know, I don't know if we can get it all done, uh, and I don't even quite feel like we're all trying yet. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, a lot of people are trying, and, and we are making progress, but, you know, sitting where I sit, um, it, it's a lot. And, you know, I, I don't I don't feel immediately comfortable that we're going to, you know, those those grand challenges that they put forth, you know, like, I don't know if we're going to figure them out. You know, not maybe not the way things are going right now. Yeah. So it's if I was going to bottom line that. It sounds like you see the world as a place. To be hopeful about, but also with humanity currently the way it is, the hope wanes pretty quickly. It's, I think um, we can accomplish amazing things, yeah. but let's not forget that we've got to put the work in to do that. Right. So it's like you're hopeful, but this doesn't come for free. Like exactly. time, energy, money, exactly. resources. Awesome. I love that. So as we wrap up here, how can people connect with you on a personal level? How can, how can people learn more about the yeah. company? And I'd love to hear, you know, this is for my own cure. Tell us a little bit about who are the kind of people that, you, that, you, that your company works with? Like who's going to want to know more about totally. the company? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, myself personally, you know, you can ask me questions on Quora. You can reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. You know, those are all good spots. Or I've got a blog, slater.website, uh, where you can, you know, drop me a message. Um, learn more about Indico, indico.io or indicodata.ai. Uh, you know, both get you to the same place. Um, and in terms of, you know, who really our product is for, right? This is for people at banking financial services places, people that are in automation centers of excellence. Uh, they're really working with unstructured data, right? So, you know, trying to automate document processes, things like that, you know, very, very classic, uh, you know, commercial real estate as well. As big awesome. As as. So if somebody, somebody's listening, they're like, Hey, that sounds like something we could use, hit you up directly, go to the website and book a call. Like what's the best way for people to connect? You, you know, you can do both. Yeah. Um, I, I will say probably going through the website uh, and talking to them, like we've got a very conscientious team and, yeah. and, and they'll respond. And frankly, they'll probably take better care of you than me. <laughs> but if you just want to, uh, if you want to chat, right. And, and kind of, you know, get, get coffee, right. Or talk about it as, at a strategic level, you know, awesome. that's, that's what you should reach out to. Awesome. Thanks Slater. All right. So we're going to wrap it up and I have a lovely tradition on the show. I can't wait to hear what you have for us. All of my guests leave us with words to wisdom and they're going to be short and sweet words to wisdom. I had a guest one time is like, yeah, let me give you something short and sweet. And they gave like a monologue. I'm like, that's not short and sweet, my man. Like, you know, post-it note, Instagram post. Uh, what do you got for us? In a long journey, moving forward is infinitely faster than not moving, no matter how slowly you move. Now that is some perfectly, perfect length, beautiful words to wisdom. Thank you much. Thank you so much for being on today, Slater. It's a pleasure to get to know you. Good luck to you, to the um, to your investors, to your customers, to the rest of the Indico team. I'm excited to, to hear more about what you all do. And uh, stay warm here in early January 2022. Keep, uh, keep digging those mushrooms. I, I was sharing this with, with uh, Slater before. The movie Pig is a great movie. It's actually not what you expect. It's Nicolas Cage, and it looks like he's a serial killer, but he's not. And it's about a foraging pig. He owns a foraging pig. It's really good. So enjoy that movie. And uh, we'll be talking soon, Slater. Thank you again so much. Awesome. Total pleasure. And don't forget Fantastic Fungi. Fantastic Fungi. We'll put all this in the show notes. People are like, this is the first time we put a mushroom-based lake in the show notes. 
Yeah, first, first of many. First of many. This is it. Every guest that from now on is going to be like, I heard your interview with Slater. I want to talk about food now, too. Yeah, no, I think Natural mushrooms food. are being a real uh, pandemic trend. They're a pandemic trend. All right, thanks so much, Slater. Yeah. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking to Cool People with Jason Frizzell. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell your friends. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and give us a shout out or take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. If something from today's episode piqued your interest and you'd like to connect, email us at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com. We love hearing from our listeners because you're cool people too.